Okay, welcome back, everybody. Um, hopefully, we're going to get into a more of a consistent streak. I know we've been doing every other for a couple of weeks, but we're back and we're ready to tackle um, a new idea and section, well, a continuation of what we've been talking about before, but we definitely did wrap up a little bit of a section last, last class. And just to give you, we're still in chapter one, by the way, like this is, I think, our fifth class, fourth or fifth class, but we're still only today going to start section two of chapter one. So we're just, we're taking it slow because there's a lot of, you know, meat that we're learning in here and the chapters are long. So we're still in chapter one. Last class, we kind of culminated this whole idea of the difference between positive commandments and negative commandments, transgression, and what happens in the upper worlds with our actions down here below. So, and why did we have to understand that? Let's remember, let's always try to trace back to why we're discussing this. We're discussing this because it's important to know how to repent for a transgression. And in order to know how to repent, we have to know the damage done right? So depending on the kind of damage that's done through our transgression or our lack of action, that's how we know to repent. So we're not going to go into all the details because we spent a long, a long time on them, but we now know, bottom line, we now know that when we refrain from a positive commandment, if we um, don't do something we're supposed to, right? Then how do we repent? We just have to repent in the moment and atonement happens, right? And we know, we understand why, because we understand the inner workings of what happens when we do a positive commandment. If you um, need to review, go back and listen to the other classes, right? Because we've, we've talked about this a lot of times. Now, if you transgress a negative commandment, right? You do something you're not supposed to do. Then what, what happens? How do we repent for that? We repent in the moment, but what happens? Our, we don't get punished, right? It's kind of on hold. And then full atonement happens when? On the day of Yom Kippur. And last class, we spoke about you know, it was news to me and maybe for many of you how special of a day Yom Kippur is and why that happens and that Yom Kippur is a culmination of a year's worth of work. It's not supposed to be a one day process, right? Whereas the Yom Kippur is the culmination of re the repentance that we've done throughout the year. So we now know those two categories, how to repent. Now, if you remember, there was a third category of transgression, that this is where we're going to start from today. So the third the third category of transgression we didn't discuss yet. And that is, if you remember, that is the, the transgression that um, is either punishable by kares, which is excommunication, or death penalty administered by the court. Okay, those things don't happen nowadays, because we are not being governed by a Jewish court. So we, like us as humans, wouldn't know when someone um, needs to be excommunicated or God forbid the penalty of death. But God knows what those mitzvahs are, right? God, I mean, we also know what those commandments are, but it just, we just don't have a way to actually, you know, act on it. So uh, a transgression that requires excommunication or death penalty how do you atone for a sin like that? Okay. And that's where we're at. So in the, in the Gemara, it says, for transgressions punishable by Karas with a death penalty administered by court, repentance and the day of, the to of atonement suspend the full negative consequence of the sin. Okay. So we, we're, we're doing the same thing so far. We have repentance and then we have um, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, which, um, suspends the full negative consequence of the sin, but it's not enough. We're not getting full atonement on Yom Kippur like, like the other categories, right? It's just suspending your consequence and suffering 
on the other days of the year affects cleansing. This is a direct quote from the Gemara of Yama, okay? So suffering during that year is what cleanses your soul. That's the cleansing that it needs, okay? Tanya takes this, translates this word cleansing, right? And what does cleansing mean? What does cleansing equal? It completes the atonement. The cleansing of the soul is what completes your atonement. And then you are forgiven and your sin is wiped away. Okay. So we have that third step because Yom Kippur is, you know, a, a sin of that severity. It's not enough. Yom Kippur is not enough, right? You, there needs to be another form of cleansing for the soul because that wound, right, was deeper, it needs more than just Yom Kippur. Yes. For, so in fact, there is atonement for the third category? For death penalty? Yeah, for... for um, the, Death penalty or... The de so for, for, for excommunication, excommunication, it makes sense. I think... Okay, I, it's a very good question and I'm going to have to check because I'm not sure. But I think because death penalty is not done... Nowadays, we have the opportunity to repent. And actually, even more so, you could, God forbid, okay, this is something I have to check on because I'm just kind of speculating here. But God forbid, if someone, even in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, when we were governed by a Jew Jewish court, if someone needed the death penalty, they could still repent before the death penalty. And could get a, it could get atonement. Could get atonement. I don't. I don't know if the death penalty. I, I'm. I'm. I'm assuming the death penalty still applies because that would be the final step of atonement is the death penalty. But the other steps are still required. Makes sense. Makes sense, right? But I will do a little bit more research on if. Okay, what, what I want to do research on is if you can atone for a sin that requires death penalty and then get out of the death penalty somehow. Does that happen? I don't know. If you can repent, you mean? Yeah, repent enough that the death get penalty out of it? doesn't apply. So that you can get atoned. I don't atoned. know. I don't know. I, I, I would... I would I don't know. It's a good question. I would I would say probably not. Probably a, a sin of that severity only is atoned through the death penalty. But at the same time, it's hard to imagine that there is no recourse for something and still live in a Torah, you know, because Torah is all about living, right? I mean, is so, God going to actually forgive somebody who commits murder? You know what I mean? Well, that's the question. Does so that's the thing. That's why I think death penalty is is something that's required because really you would need to ask forgiveness from the person, but you can't do that because the person is dead. Which is why I think the death penalty is the only way to atone for something like that. But then you're not atoning the death penalty. You're getting it. You're getting it. You're gonna die. The uh, right, but the but the death is the atonement. Because then, yeah, go ahead, Robin. Because Otherwise, then at least what? you actually have an, a chance to go to heaven, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we have to take a, a longer look at this thing. Our life start and end is not the whole story. You know, there's, you know, coming back again. There's life uh, in the in the world to come. And well, so exactly. you've done a terrible thing. You've And it, the death penalty is the appropriate punishment for this. So you want to atone for it or repent. You want to be, you know, woefully sorry for what you've done, but now the cleansing of your soul is necessary. So you go into the next life clean. Exactly. Right. This is why the suffering happens. We're going to talk about that in later, but the, the reason why suffering happens in this world is because to cleanse your soul out of this world in the world to come is much harder. Right. And the soul goes through much more suffering. So that's why you, you kind of want, we're going to, and we're going to address the idea of suffering in a minute. But you kind of want the suffering to be in this world because 
shockingly, you know, that is actually the better case scenario for the soul than not atoning, right? Not going through a cleansing process in this world. And then you're trying to, the soul is needing to be cleansed in the world to come. And that's a lot more of a painful process for the soul. So if you're suffering in this world every day uh, and, and in all areas of your life, this means you're getting cleansed. Okay. We're, so hold that thought. Okay. And we're going to, we're going to address suffering in a minute to the best of our ability. Cause remember we're still finite beings trying to understand the infinite and God's ways. So we have a little bit of a glimpse into it, but I don't know for sure if we're ever going to be okay and understand the idea of suffering to the, its full extent, because we're human and we don't want to suffer, right? So, um, and God created us that way. He created us in a way that we don't want to suffer. So we, we will talk about it in a little bit and let me know when we go into it, if, if, you, if the question is answered. Okay, so we have, so this suffering, which we're going to talk about is what's cleansing the soul and completes the atonement for this, these more severe transgressions, right? Um, and when sins that carry the punishment of excommunication or death penalty, the reason why it takes, obviously, because we know how this works now, right? From the other examples, the reason why it takes more atonement is because the causes more spiritual damage than the other sins, right? So remember we, we said, I think it was one of the first classes we said, a sin is a sin, right? A sin disconnects you from God, right? So in one hand, a sin is a sin. There's no more worse or better. You're disconnected. But then we did go on to say that it's like the example of your power being out, right? It could be an easy fix or it could be a more complicated fix. And I can actually give you a full real life example that's happening today in our lives. Our septic system is not working. This is bad. Our, our, our septic system is having issues. It could be an easy fix and it could be a hard fix. This happens to be a super hard fix because no one even can figure out what's wrong. So the pump is working, the this is working, everything's working, but water, thank God it's not sewage, but water is filling the tank. The water's not going into the draining field. So somewhere along the pipeline, there's a blockage and they can't find it. And if they, we have one more chance tomorrow, they can't find it, they're gonna have to excavate the whole yard to find out why our septic system's not working. So right now we're trying to limit our water use and all that kind of stuff. So here's a really good example. This is a problem, right? We're disconnected from our sewer system. Either it could have been a super easy fix, right? The pump was broken or, or it was backed up or whatever, or it's a super hard fix. So the fact that the sewer system isn't working is the same no matter what, but trying to fix it is different. So this is what the, what the difference is between different severity of sins. The disconnection is the same. You disconnect big sin, small sin, same disconnection. How do you come back? How do you repair? Depending on how severe the damage is, will determine how much effort it takes to repair. So these more severe sins, you know, um, repentance and Yom Kippur is not enough. You need, the soul is still damaged, right? So it needs that extra step of suffering to cleanse your soul. And it's what God is trying to say is that really I'm doing this for you. It's really hard to understand. I mean, for me, I mean, maybe you, you know, for me, I mean, it's harder, it's harder to wrap your brain around that this is a favor, right? But what God is saying that is like, I, I'm giving you the opportunity to suffer here in this world. And obviously suffering is on different degrees and different varying levels, because actually, if we don't clean that up down in this world, in the world to come, it's going to be a lot harder and your soul is going to suffer a lot more. So it's actually an act of kindness that we have the opportunity to cleanse our soul in this world. Okay. So, um, so this is why, you know, there's that, there's that, that additional step. Now in, um, in this, what I actually really enjoying this, this other transition of Tanya from Steinsaltz, if anyone's ever heard of 
you know, Rabbi Steinsaltz, who is very famous. I love, I love having both to prepare from because like uh, Robin, we've spoken about this, right? Like you can learn from the same thing from so many different teachers and like almost zero overlap, right? Because there's so many different things to focus on. And I love having the two different perspectives because they very rarely, the word, like the translation and the words are similar, but they very rarely focus on the same thing. So it's really fun to have these different perspectives. And Rabbi Steinsaltz does go on a little, he has a little gray box for when he like puts his own thoughts in. And he goes on to this idea of suffering a little bit, which I thought is very um, applicable and important for us to try to wrap our brain around as much as we can, because I don't, I have yet to meet someone in this world who has not gone through challenges. Now, we all can approach our challenges differently, and someone might go through a lot of challenges and might not be a victim or feel the challenges as much, but the case in point is, is that I'm pretty sure no one gets through this world scot-free, right? Like, that's not what this is. This world is about. So I think this is applicable to everyone. So how do we relate to suffering? What is the appropriate way for us to approach suffering? Because on the one hand, we hear sometimes that it's for our good and God only does good. And on the other hand, nobody wants to suffer, right? Like this is not something that we ask for. So it's a very, very complex issue. And um, actually in Shema, um, it actually, we say in Shema, and this is a quote, as for my sins, erase them through your abundant compassion, but not through suffering or terrible disease. So we literally every morning and night in Shema, we're actually asking God to get rid of our, to like forgive us for our sins without us suffering, right? Like we're trying to like, you know, outsmart the system here, you know, like, please God, we know we sinned. We are sorry. Skip the suffering part. We don't want to suffer, right? So even though we recognize that suffering, it has benefits for us, right? Because we're learning and we understand that suffering has a beneficial aspect to it, we still don't want it, right? And we and we definitely don't ask for it, right? We're never, and I think, Carrie, you need to hear this. You were never supposed to ask for suffering. Even if it's better for us in the long run, even though, even though our soul will do better off suffering here than in the world to come, it's never something we're supposed to ask for. When we are suffering and when this happens to us, we have an approach, right? We try to come at it from a positive of, of approach after the fact, but it's not something that we're supposed to ask for and say, please, please, God, I don't want, I don't want, I want my soul to have an easier time. So please send us suffering. It's not a Jewish concept. We don't want to, we don't ask for suffering. Okay. I think you misunderstood me completely though. Cause when I was, no, sitting- no, I know this doesn't answer your question. I just know how your brain works and I know that you're going to want the best for your soul. So no, but that's I'm not really. Preempting a no, I'm, I'm suffering. I'm suffering. I am suffering. Huh? I am suffering and I have been suffering for many, many years. And I want to know why, why? So, and how to approach it. Right. I can't tell you why you're suffering. Right. Am I being cleansed? There's no way for me to know. Um, that's between you and God, right? Am but, I being cleansed? Though? So that that also I don't know because there's uh, there's many reasons why we suffer. One of them is for cleansing, but that's not the only reason why we suffer. So if you're suffering a lot, it doesn't mean that you're sinning a lot. That's not what it means. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, and it it maybe means that your soul needs to go through this experience to get to a certain level or it's your soul's journey or whatever the case is. I I can't answer that. It's hard enough to try to understand our own suffering and it's not appropriate for me to be like, Carrie, this is why you're suffering, right? Like I'm not God. I don't know. But what we could talk about is how we can try to approach the suffering, right? If you're suffering or when you're suffering, because at any given time, one of us are going to be suffering, right? Because that's the world. When we're facing a moment of suffering, how are we 
what's our goal in the way we approach it? And that we, that's what we're going to discuss right now, right? So what, we're, what we try to do, which is a work in progress because it's extremely difficult, is we try to accept the suffering with love by understanding that this is a cleansing process, okay? And we really want to try to internalize the suffering in that way, even though it's very hard to do so, okay? And, and also understanding that suffering is the fastest and easiest way to cleanse our soul, right? So again, it's a little bit of a catch-22 or a little bit of a paradox, right? Because we never want to ask for suffering. We, we don't really approve of this idea of suffering. We know that it exists. And if we happen to be in the position that we're suffering, we try to approach it with an acceptance. Like, okay, like instead of viewing the suffering as something negative, we view the suffering as a expedited cleansing process for our soul that for some reason our soul needs, whether it's in connection to sin or not. There's many different reasons why a soul would need cleansing or, or, or what do we know about suffering? Or what do we know about challenges? Is that we're not the same as when we started. And usually we're a more um, compassionate, we're, we're deeper. We're usually, a, we come out better, right? At, on the others, it, it raises us to the next level of consciousness, right? You will, once, give me one second, but you will, you will see a difference between somebody who's hasn't had a lot of challenges in their life to somebody who's overcome many, many different challenges, approached it in a, in a way that's accepting, has come at it the, on the other side, and you will see a difference in their depth of character, right? In their, in their, um, in their, uh, what's the word of capacity in their love for life, right? Like, it is, it's unfortunate, but it is that that does happen. So if our soul sometimes needs to reach the next level and we're not able to do that, sometimes we need that push. And that's the soul's journey to go through a little bit of suffering to get us to the next level. So I'm not saying that suffering is always connected to sin, but suffering is a process that our soul is needing in that moment for some reason. Yes, Robin. Can it be? So I'm glad you you transitioned into challenges there too, because as I know Javier and I have talked about for many years, um, I finally got it through my head. The challenges that I face, Hashem hand-selected for me. These are the challenges that I need to grow, that I need uh, for whatever reasons, these are the challenges. Now that's different. That's a challenge. That's just the, the challenges in my life. Um, and I want to face them you know, optimistically, I want to face them with energy and I want to do well by them and see them as a test. How do you know the difference between a challenge and suffering as cleansing? Wouldn't they so, feel an awful lot the same? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's the difference is not, is only really on how you approach it. If you didn't, if you weren't able to view those challenges you're talking about in that way you just said, it would be suffering right? You would suffer through those challenges if you didn't have that approach. So challenges turn into really big suffering when we don't um, accept them, when we fight against them, when we're like, you know, butting heads against it, that makes it to be much more suffering. Um, and let me see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pain, uh, like Sarah says, pain and non-acceptance equals suffering. So um and then there's, there's, and also pain is not the same as suffering either, right? You can go through a challenge and feel pain, right? Um, but suffering is something that we allow to happen to us when we are in pain. either in victim mode or we're not able to process a challenge in, in an accepting way. And I, I'm, it's not always possible, right? We're human. So sometimes 
we're not going to be able to do that. And we, we keep trying, right? But I had something that I wanted to say with what, yeah. So I, I do, I very, very much believe, because I've come to this conclusion on my own that sometimes I, I wonder why, um, why, why does this happen to me? Or why do I have to go through this? Or what, you know, and I've really come to this place, not to say that I'm happy about it most of the time, but I do understand that for whatever reason, this is my soul's journey, right? That the, I'm in this position, I, you know, the challenges that I have is for the purpose of my soul to bring me to a certain place to have this experience for whatever reason. And sometimes I see the results and sometimes I don't, but I do find a lot of comfort in knowing that this is my soul's journey, right? And knowing that this is my soul's journey helps me accept the challenges. Um, it's no problem. Welcome. Um, helps me accept the challenges, not in a way that makes me dance for joy, but in a way that brings me a little comfort knowing that in the long run, this is for my benefit. Right. So um, um, Rabbi Steinsaltz goes on to say that the world is a very um, dynamic place. Right. Things are always changing and transforming from one extreme to the other. Right. This world hardly ever. It's not ever stagnant. Right. And um, therefore. Right. And this is what we are constantly been talking about in this journey. And in Agaris Hachuva is the effect that our actions, the, the cosmic effect that our actions have down here and things that seem insignificant and small down here really have far reaching um, uh, ramifications, right? In this world, in the spiritual world. So same too, a little bit of suffering. I'm not saying we only suffer a little bit, but a little bit of suffering in this world has a lot of far reaching effects and, and facilitates big change in the universe, okay? So when we are suffering a little bit, or even when we're suffering a lot, just multiply that, it's not just happening in a vacuum, right? It is affecting cosmic change in the worlds to come, in this world, and in our soul, which is why it affects our soul after death, like, how much trauma is our soul going to have to go through after it passes to reach heaven, depending on how it operated down here in this world? Yes, Carrie. I was, uh, I forgot what I wanted to ask. Oh, yeah. Could it be uh, considered suffering? Could, could you consider suffering as serving God? Yes. Remember, if you if you've studied the first chapter, the first book of Tanya with me, we what did we what do we always say? I don't think I did. Service the first is in the work, right? Service is in the work. That is what service is. And I wanna I also wanna amend when I say suffering, I'm I I really mean challenges because suffering yeah. is a choice, right? right? Challenges are not the challenges we get is not a choice. So when we have a challenge, right? that is God's way of cleansing our soul. And depending on how we approach the challenge, you know, we get to choose how that, how that ends up panning out. But because, so this is very fascinating because the present world is very um, fluid, right. And it's constantly changing that affects the, it affects our soul in a much greater way. But after the soul dies, right? Passes on. The upper worlds are static. So it's much harder to affect change in a static environment than in an ever-changing environment. So that's another reason why our soul going through challenges down here affects a much greater change than it going through it in the world to come after it's already passed on. Okay. How is it affecting? How is our suffering down here affecting the world up there? Is it in a good way? Yeah, it's it's basically cleansing our soul in a much um, deeper way. So after the soul passes on, it doesn't have to go through much cleansing. It but goes it, as as, as a, like 
how it's affecting the rest of the world, right? Yeah, so I actually, so yeah, so we know that it has a cosmic effect, just like our sin has a cosmic effect, just like our repentance has a cosmic effect, just like our, our positive actions have a cosmic effect, so does our challenges. I can't tell you at this moment what exactly is happening in the upper worlds when we're suffering. I only have information on what's happening in our soul and why it's easier for our soul to go through it down here than up there. But as far as what's happening in the world, I'm uh, what I what I think positive. Yeah, it's rectification. Okay. It's part of your it's part of your repentance process. So it's a it's rectified when we're being challenged in this world. Whatever needs to be rectified through that challenge is happening in the cosmic world as well. Okay, good. Okay, so. Um, so, um, so he ends with a, an example, right? Why, why is it harder to affect change when something is still, um, as opposed to something that's moving? So he gives an example of someone who's walking, right? Someone who, who's in a perpetual movement. To get him off balance, you just really need to tap him, and he can be off, be off balance, right? But someone who's firm in place, you can kind of knock into him, and it doesn't necessarily knock him off his feet, right? Because he's firm in place. So that's why if we want to affect change in our soul, the constant movement of the world and the, the, the fluidity of this, of this physical world, it's easier to affect change. But in the static environment of the spiritual world, you can do it, right? Like you can knock someone down when they're standing still, you just need to push harder, right? So same too with our soul. We can cleanse our soul when it's in a static environment. You just have to cleanse harder, right? And it's going to have to be more intense. And we would like to avoid that. So, so that's the little um, tangent we had on challenges and suffering. We don't, bottom line is we don't want to ask for them. We, we don't want them, right? We don't appreciate, you know, having them. But disclaimer, if we're facing a challenge, if you know, we're in that um, state of pain and suffering, if it leads to that, the more we can adapt our perspective and understand that this is the journey of our soul, this is the cleansing of our soul, this is getting us to the next level in our connection to Hashem, hopefully that provides some comfort and takes away some of the suffering in the process. Okay, was that helpful? Yes. Okay, good, 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 good. Okay, so so now that we understand um, why it makes sense that um, the last stage of repentance for a more severe sin is some challenges, right? And that's what culminates the rectification of the soul with these more severe breaks that happen when we do these more severe sins. Um, Okay, let me just see. So we conclude, so this concludes this tractate from Yama that we talked about, which started, we started off this chapter with, with the three types of sin, right? So we're concluding this um, tractate. And we see that um, we conclude by saying that God will cause a sinner to suffer in order to achieve atonement. And this constitutes the completion of the process of atonement. So now we know and we understand um, all three categories of sin and how each the trajectory of atonement for each type of sin okay so now um what we want to do is we're going to move on to our next section we have now arrived at section two of chapter one (laughs) um five classes in guys this is amazing but um and I love that we are, we're just taking our time and we don't have a timeline. This can take us three years if we wanted to. I don't know if you'll stick with me that long, but um, <laughs> tortoise versus the hare, exactly. We are inching our way through and doing it in a very awesome way. So 
Section two is titled the mitzvah of tshuva. So now we're going to, the previous section focused on, actually, surprisingly, the previous section focused on atonement, right? What does it take to get atonement from God? What's atonement? Atonement's the part that God does, right? The forgiveness. Um, so all we, what we've been discussing until now is how do we achieve atonement? How long does it take for us to get atonement? What are the steps of atonement per sin, right? We didn't really discuss how to actually do the repentance, right? Yes. I just want to take you back to just before you start this, this second section here. At the very end, what you were saying um, is our suffering or challenges, okay, suffering general, is that part of not atonement, repentance? That is the part that you don't really have a say in. It's right. God's part of finishing off in order to, for God to grant you atonement, it comes with some challenges or suffering, but that's, uh, it's not in your control. That's God decides that and God decides how much and when and how, right? So it's, I would say it's more part of the atonement process than the chuva process. The suffering that we do is part of the atonement? How could that be? The atonement comes from God. Right. And so does the suffering. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it comes from yeah. God. Right. Yes. So it's God's like final step. And in order to grant you atonement, you have this last little scrubbing to do. And you have to go through it, but it's not anything that's really in your control. You don't get to like, the rest of the tshuva process is based on your choices and what you do, right? It's in your control. The suffering, I feel like, is a little bit, covers both a little bit, but I think it's more in the atonement category because it's just really up to God. But it's, it's not part of repenting then. It's not part of repenting? It's no? not It's not part of the repentance that you can do, that you choose to do, right? Okay. It's part okay. of the process that God determines whether you need or not. For the for to achieve atonement. That's such an interesting line to draw, like that makes this not asceticism. Like you can't opt into it as part of your repentance, but we can like understand it to be part of our atonement. Right. You so can't like choose exactly, which was what we said. I don't know if you were on yet, but we 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 literally like you can't you can't first of all, we're not supposed to ask for suffering or challenges, and we can't really be like, okay, God, I'm going. I'm going to do this really challenging suffering thing. So you will grant me atonement doesn't work like that, right? God decides what that's going to look like for you. Our job is to find a way to accept it, right? And work through it in a way that, you know, we're not fighting against it and we're accepting it as an act of love, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So really, until now, we haven't really um, addressed what the actual tshuva, repentance process looks like. We, 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 we said the steps of how to achieve atonement, but we didn't really go into the tshuva part, and we're going to do that now. But like I always say, Tanya is never like, question, answer, you know, like, it's like, oh, we have to understand the mitzvah of tshuva. Oh, but first... Is tshuva actually a mitzvah? Don't yeah. on. There's a disagreement. Is tshuva considered a mitzvah? Right? So before we even get to understanding what tshuva is, we're first going to take a little bit of a tangent and try to understand. And it, it's not super important for us to understand this, like as far as the process of tshuva is concerned, but like I always say, knowledge is power, right? And the more we can understand the inner workings and the, 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 the wisdom behind everything godly, the more it enhances our relationship. So I do think it's, it, it's worthy to spend a little bit of time understanding what tshuva actually is. Is it a mitzvah? Is it not a mitzvah? What, what's, the, what's the argument about? And it just gives us more depth and understanding to this process. We are, we are heading a little bit towards time. And I, I apologize. I forgot to do our like grounding meditation in the beginning of class. Um, but could we dive right in? So that means we were ready, right? Um, but I, so I want to make sure to leave some time at the end to just sit with, sit with the space. So, 
Um, let's define the mitzvah of tshuva from the Torah, okay? Now, the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe, does classify tshuva as a mitzvah, okay? Um, but it actually is hard for us to understand why that is, which is why we're going to spend a few minutes talking about it, because really... If you look at tshuva from a textual standpoint and a rational standpoint, it really doesn't make sense that it's categorized as a mitzvah, right? And how much more so the Rambam, who's the codifier, right, of Torah, who um, lists the 613 commandments, does not include tshuva in that list. So why, right? Why? why is it challenging to accept tshuva as a mitzvah? And why does the Alter Rebbe still be like kind of stubborn about the fact that yes, it is a mitzvah. So why, why, why would looking at tshuva as a mitzvah be, be um, uh, problematic? So number one, if you think about it, it's kind of reminiscent of a get right? A divorce, the divorce process. It's not a mitzvah to get a divorce, right? If you're in a position that God forbid you need to have a divorce, this is how you should do it, right? The Torah tells us how we should do it. Tshuva is kind of the same thing, right? We shouldn't, it's not a mitzvah to repent, right? It's, I mean, in the sense of like, we shouldn't be looking to do repentance, if you happen to transgress and sin, this is how you reconnect. It would be interesting to look at tshuva as a mitzvah onto itself because it really only applies once you transgress. So how is it a standalone mitzvah, which, was what we're, which is what we're trying to understand. So that's um, like textually, like letter of the law, why is this a mitzvah? This only applies if we sin, just like a, a get, a proper Torah divorce only applies if you get to, if you need to get a divorce. No one is going out and saying, well, let me fulfill the mitzvah of divorce, right? Like that's not what we do. It's only a path we take if we have to. And then, and then there's the Torah way to a divorce. Same here. We're not looking to repent to God, right? It's only if we transgress and we're looking for a way to reconnect, here's the way that we reconnect. The second reason why, rationally speaking, um, it would make more sense that it's not a mitzvah is because um, just think about like in our day-to-day -day life, like for example, imagine if you like, I'll take the example of like a, a spousal relationship or even a friendship, right? You offended someone and you need to apologize, right? The apology is only going to work if it's sincere, right? If you're coerced to apologize, if you're forced to apologize, it doesn't really mean very much, right? Um, and I'm sure we've all experienced that, right? Like I've said that to my husband a million times. I'm like, well, do you really mean it? Or you're just saying it to end the fight, right? Like if you're just saying sorry to end the fight, take your sorry and go away. Like that doesn't mean anything to me, right? But if you're really sincere in your apology, then that means something. So saying, can you imagine if our apology to God was only because we're forced to, um, then what does that even mean? In order for a apology to mean something for God, it has to come from us. And for it to come from our, us, it can't be a commandment, right? It can't be forced upon us or else it doesn't hold any value. So we have quite a bit of ammo, right, in kind of being on team tshuva, not mitzvah, right? Because um, it seems to make a lot more logical sense given um, the textual context, like you only really, you're not looking to do tshuva unless you sin, right? If someone goes through this world without sinning, right? He's not lacking in his Torah observance if he doesn't do tshuva, he just didn't need to do it right? Now, granted, there are very few people that, that, that 
applies to, like Robin, we were just discussing on, on Shabbos, right? The four people in the world who've never sinned. Do you know who those are? We now know. Four people in the world that have never sinned. There's four. Okay, Robin, you're going to help me. There's Yeshai, the son of David, the, the father of David. Then there's one of his sons who goes the by sons of David, Daniel. which we're calling Daniel, right? Because right. <laughs> the other name is crazy. Um, there's Binyamin, Benjamin. And then there's Amram, the father of Moses, of, of Moshe. Those what are the about, four people that what never about Abraham? What about Abraham? Nope. He sinned? Not in the category. Yeah. He's Abraham, not in the he category. Never, he, he, what's it called? He, are, you know, I don't know. I don't, listen, these are not considered sins in our category, but he argued with God a bunch of times. <laughs> or remember he put, what was the one where he, he put, who puts, who Oh, that's box? right. Moshe. Or Dina in the box. I don't know. Whatever. I'm just saying that four people fit under the category of that never sin. And the only reason why they die is because Adam had the original sin, which brought death to the world. Right? That's the only reason why they died is because death was brought to the world and they had to eventually die. Tangent, but it's a fun one. Um, so even though, you know, most people will end up using teshuva as part of their relationship with God. It's hard to justify saying that it's a mitzvah onto itself. Right? Are we all on the same page? Clavi, yeah. I'm having a hard time understanding how like everything else that we do in terms of our relationship with God is a mitzvah. Because why? Because it, you don't want to be coerced? Yeah, but like this one isn't? Because this one only applies if you sin. So like lighting Shabbos candles, you can do it or not do it, but it stands alone. Like everybody has an opportunity. Putting on tefillin, keeping Shabbos, keeping kosher, those things always apply. Right? There's, they're, they're, always, they're always apply. It's not like, oh, you only get to keep Shabbos if something else happens. Right. right. I Shabbos, think it's the coerced one that I'm having a hard time with. Okay. So that is um, ra- like a rational, ex- that has nothing to do with like um, the textual context of what a mitzvah is. It's more of like a logical reason. Like if tshuva, if we're demanded to do teshuva, if tshuva is a mitzvah, which means we're demanded to do it, then how could it be um, authentic? Yeah. I'm like, Everything else is also supposed to be, uh, I don't know. Everything is also also supposed to be authentic, but you still get to choose to do it or not, right? And and, um, lighting Shabbos candles, even if you don't want to, is still powerful because you're still doing the connection with God. But an apology that's not really an apology doesn't really, you don't really apologize. But not you're not really demand. You're not really demanded to do ch- teshuva. It comes from within you. If right. You this is why it. we're saying, how could it be a mitzvah? Right. How could it be a commandment if it has to come from us? Right. It's almost like right, and, like and saying like intention, like having intention while doing it. It's like teshuva like, doesn't really like is what we're implying yes. that you can do without that intention, but you can do other mitzvahs exactly. Doing any other mitzvah, even if you don't have the proper intention, you're still doing the mitzvah, right? You're still getting it done. Now, if you have the proper intention, like we spoke about in the first, you know, book of Tanya, you're making a much more beautiful home for God, right? There's so much more enhancement, but the mitzvah is the mitzvah. Tshuva, if you don't have the proper intention during tshuva, it's not accepted. God sees right through you, right? You don't get to accomplish tshuva without authenticity, and you really, it's really hard to demand authenticity. It's really hard to say, you have to repent. And by the way, it has to be authentic, right? That has to come from us, or us within us. Okay. And I think this is where we're going to stop. I'm going to make a mark in my notebook because we want to have some time just to sit with what we've learned so far. 
So um, we stopped. So um, for tshuva to be real, this is where I'm stopping. So I'm making sure I'm saying it out loud. It, for tshuva to be real, it's really hard for it to also be a commandment. Now, remember, we're going to come back to the altar of his opinion that it is a commandment, but it's going to make sense, right? The altar always finds a way, right? Like the altar is the master of um, if um, this and, right? This and, right? Not, not this but, but this and. It could be this and it could be this, right? And we're going to end up, that's where we're going to end up. Um, let me just mark my page over here. Okay. Will you ever come back to the portion where was last week's uh, towards the end of the class last week where Yom Kippur and the universe and all that? Because I didn't really get it all. Do you have a question on that? So it was actually, by the way, I just want to say that understand the discussion it. we had was not part of the Tanya. The Tanya part was understanding what role Yom Kippur plays in the atonement process. But that whole like cool portal part about Yom Kippur was an addition from Rabbi Steinsaltz. So, so space and time and on all that. Yeah. It's like this time portal where it, it, ex it exists on a different plane. So right, I don't get that. Part. Okay. So let's talk. Okay. Cause class is almost over, but let's find a time to just delve into that a little bit more, okay. me and you. And I'm also saying that I don't really uh, have a complete grasp on it myself. Um, <laughs> I just, it's very, it's a very esoteric thing, right? It's just understanding the awesomeness of the day. And to me, what was the most impactful was that how I've approached Jim Kipper until now was like, okay, be in shul, daven as much as you can and say sorry for all the sins you've done the past year, right? What was new for me is that really I need to be cognizant and intentional about my atonement or my, my repentance throughout the year. And Yom Kippur is the day that culminates that and is able to wipe my sins clean as if it doesn't exist because it exists outside of time. That's so that's why it has the ability to erase something like it never existed only Yom Kippur can do that because it exists outside of time just like the ark in the holy of holies right it was there but it also didn't take up any space that's the phenomenon we're not going to understand quantum like quantum physics and why yeah, I don't I don't right get it. I don't either I don't understand how something can be in time and out of time but but it, it does happen right so so that's where we're at if you have more questions let me know Okay, so we're gonna take a second, ground our bodies and our minds in the space. We're gonna do it for the, for the beginning of class too, but it's okay. Um, and I wanna make sure that I, okay. When you're ready and you feel like, feel like exactly, I love how you're all are just moving your bodies, moving around, feeling your body. And when you're ready, you can gently close your eyes. We're not gonna spend so much time today being that we actually, at the end, I want to leave more time and I didn't even accomplish that, but we're gonna spend more time on just being present in how our body is right now than affecting change in our breath works. That's not so important right now. So I just want you to take a minute and just really try to be in your body, right? What is your body feeling right now? Where in your body do you feel the most sensation? Is there any part of you that feels uncomfortable or stressed, right? Don't try to change it at this moment. Just notice, observe. Observe where your body's at, observe where your mind is at, Observe where your breath is at without changing it. Is your breath like labored? Is it hyper? Is it calm? Is it deep, shallow? 
it's the first step to really affecting change and understanding our body is to really just observe it first. And if you don't know what it's doing now, it's going to be really hard to change it. So I'll give you a, a minute or so just to just really just sit with, sit with yourself. There's no right or wrong, right? Just whatever is going on in our body is telling us something. So for today, I want everyone to visualize this beautiful, bright, shining light. It's shining into your body, coming in through your head and slowly pouring through your body. And as this light is coming, is pouring in through your body, it's melting any pain or tension or stress. It's just melting it away. So it's a very, very powerful visualization. If you can just let it wash over you, this like wonderful shining light that's just pouring in and in its path melts away any discomfort that you might have. So now that maybe we're feeling a little bit looser, meltier, less stressed, let's focus on a few things that we spoke about today. And I think the most powerful thing that we ended up talking about is this concept of challenges. What, are, what do the challenges end up meaning to us? Do we suffer through them? Can we accept them as a gift of love? Can we accept them as our soul's path and journey? Every one of us has our own unique journey and all the experiences we have are part of it. When you can think of, I mean, and think of something that's going on in your life right now. You can think of a challenge you're having in your life right now. What happens if we reframe and understand it and accept it instead of fighting against it? It's a process, doesn't happen right away. If it makes you feel super uncomfortable, that's really normal. Just tease the thought and then back off. Just touch upon it. And the more you touch upon that thought, the more you can feel it, the longer you can think about it. Give your brain a break, just let it go. You can focus on your breathing, your breath for a minute or two. In through your nose, deep inhale, opening up your chest. And a nice exhale, you can let all tension out. You can even physically just drop your shoulders when you exhale. Deep inhale, exhale, one last time, inhale, open up your heart center, allow God in and exhale, let it all out. When you're ready, 
You can gently open your eyes, no rush. So sorry, I kept you a couple minutes over time, but if there's any questions or thoughts, feelings, feel free. I can always turn off the recording so we don't keep the watchers too long and we can you know, discuss anything that comes up for you. Um, let me do that now, actually. See you next week.